0: Welcome to the Personal Best Podcast, powered by Jets Australia, We are coming to you live from the beautiful Australia, specifically the Sunshine Coast of Australia. My name is Bart, to my left is a man that just lost his Touch Rugby League game last night. It is Jacob Kettle. Hi
1: Bart, Uh, just something you should know guys, you
0: have a 1 in 12,000 chance
1: of getting struck by lightning. And another thing you should know, just remember to follow us on all socials, subscribe to the podcast and have a good day. How are you, by it? mate? I'm good. More importantly,
0: are you okay?
1: I'm great. I'm good. It's fine. I know you got jibbed last night. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just how it goes, you know. That's next, it. next
0: season's the the goal. I can tell you're really hurt by this. No, I'm, I'm fine. not. I'm not going to keep. I'm more.
1: I'm, I'm more it. astounded by the the lightning facts that I've looked at today. How rare it, how not rare it is to get struck by lightning.
0: That is very impressive. What one in twelve thousand chance to to get
1: struck? Yeah, and then about ten percent of that die. So there
0: you go,
1: <laughs> pretty, pretty big. They said, I looked at the, the data for deaths of lightning was very varied, but about one in 12,000 chance to get
0: struck. This is great. I love how deep you go into this. stuff. Yeah. Don't worry about fitness, but this stuff this is important. No, this is what you should know. I have a question for you. Yep. <clears throat> Someone asked me this question the other day and it got me thinking and their answer was very different to mine. So here's the question. What is the earliest memory that you can remember?
1: Um, it's coming to me The only like ones that are like tr- Slightly traumatic ones Of like a dog biting me in the face And oh. I remember Specifically being a wet and wild And a kid squirted me in the face With water uh, heavy And I just remember crying to my mother But Ouch. That's, that's all I That's like early Like I don't have early like That's probably so like how, three how or four
0: That's pretty early My, my mate said he, cl- he couldn't remember a thing before ten Okay, so I don't know whether he just had like a whole traumatic first ten years to his yeah, life. Yeah, I would say
1: like, yeah, before like I early like pre kindy, yeah, that. But yeah, the 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 wet and wild one really got me. I think I have got
0: a few, and they're much the same as you. It's stuff that was that was really bad. Like one time, I must have been three or four. My dad stepped on a nail, and there was just blood gushing from the bottom of his foot. And I remember it vividly, going like initially going, "Oh, this is which is weird," and then realizing he was in pain and being really scared. But the second thing is I went fishing with my uncles, so it must have been a bit I must probably a bit similar age. Anyway, I caught a redfin. They actually took a photo of me holding this red fin on the fishing rod and submitted it into a fishing magazine and it got <laughs> it got it got published. So oh, wow. Somewhere at home I have that fishing magazine. But the story is they, they didn't have a knife to to take out the fish. Yep. So they just picked up a stick, held the fish down, and just started <laughs> slamming it with. Oh this my stick. god! Okay, so
1: very very rough start to the podcast. I've We've got I'm talking <laughs> about lightning deaths and now fish deaths. We're a bit morbid. A bit today. morbid, but we'll promise we'll get into the good stuff soon. Promise. Um, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, it was, and I I remember it like it was yesterday, and I think they were laughing, purely because it was a funny situation. But I remember being quite horrified.
1: Yeah, horrified by it. Um funny you should say fishing though because I did come across something today um which I'm calling the great fishing injustice of 2023. Wow. Um there was a a pro like marlin fishing tournament. It's called the Big Rock Marlin Tournament mm-hmm. in America. Uh 2.77 million dollars for the winner. So you just have to catch the biggest marlin, I think. Right. Um and basically some guy caught A 619 pound blue marlin. So 619 pounds. Yep. So around about close to 300 kgs, I would say. Um, But the rule wins it, gets it, thinks he's all home and hose. They weigh it. But the rules in like this fishing tournament stipulate that if there's like a gash or some kind of, you know, um, mutilation to the fish you wow. disqualified nice. And they fu- found a slight like shark bite On the Fish's head And uh, then So it got disqualified Fire. And the winner Went to a guy that Got a 485 pound Marlin instead So about 60 kilo different lighter mm. fish Ended up taking 2.77 million dollars home
0: that's an injustice just
1: because of a little f- that that shark cost that guy close to three mil over three mil australian just because it had a little nibble out of the top of it and it was still 60 kilos heavier
0: mate that's ridiculous
1: and it got me thinking have you ever caught like a big fish like i've been chartering off a bit not the little blue fin um, that you got when you were it was a red red fin sorry and it was like
0: t- it was maybe 20 centimeters
1: because that something like of that that would take hours and the fit. I was thinking, how do you become fish fit? Deep sea fishing fit. Is it just reeling? I was just thinking because <laughs> it's a it's a very like one. You have to use the only one hand, and you're just sitting. I've been strapped to. I went in Hawaii deep sea fishing. You really caught um, a mahi mahi, and you're just there in your seat, just in your seat, strapped down, going for ages. It really does take a level of fitness to that to get. You would you would need, and that fish guy. It. Pulling that in, that would have been a couple of hours, I reckon. Possibly.
0: Imagine so. Imagine two hundred and whatever kilos on a, on a on a deadlift, and you pulling that up. Not in just a water. deadlift.
1: One of the fastest fish pushing against you. Yeah, that's enough for for in their land, in their sea. That's
0: like endurance. That's that's it's, in, it, endurance, strength, endurance.
1: The, when I went to the thing, the guy goes selling the tours was like, "Yeah, do you want to see the one I caught?" Just showed us. It was like. Close to like a 200, he was like, Yeah, I caught this. Ca- took me three hours to, to, oh. rea- to reel it in. No one really else got to fish because I was there reeling it in the whole time. And no I was way. like, Well, I don't know if I'm ready for this today, but
0: yeah, imagine that. Get, a three <laughs> you know. hour fight with a fish that mm. would be nuts. Like you'd I suppose you don't know when it's going to come up either. So you just start yanking on that thing and you don't know it's going to be, it could be half an hour, it could yep. be days. Hey, respect. I tell you what, yeah. Fish Fit program coming come to your fish gym yep. <laughs> pretty soon. Let's bring it back to fitness. Okay. I have a um, I have a question for you because mm-hmm. I've been I've been again I do that creepy thing in gyms where I watch people work out out of um, out of want to help them right, and I see a lot of people tackle this situation in a couple of ways. When you do four sets of ten, let's just say that's what you're doing, standard. Nothing just sexy mm-hmm. about it. Do you do warm up sets until you find your weight of ten, and then do four sets of ten? Yep. Or do you do four sets where you build up weights and then on that last four set of 10, that's your heaviest set of 10?
1: Yep. Um, generally, it's probably, if it's a compound like mm. movement or like a, a strong lift, I generally will do like a bit of a pyramid working up to it. Mm-hmm. I'd say I'd like, you know, go maybe go like 60, 80, 100, up like that. Go do on. a couple at my my weight and then taper back down. Nice. Um but if it's something that I know, like I'm doing a machine, mm. a tricep like but like I'll just go straight and that's my four sets. Yep, Bang. I know I'm going to do it, but if it's something that I like I really think I have to warm up, I'll kind of do more of a pyramid. Nice. What
0: about yourself? Great answer. I always hold, so I always build up. So I'm doing a five set five set to five or whatever. I'll take as many sets as I need to build up to my weight of five mm-hmm. and then hold that weight across those five sets.
1: Okay, so you're doing possibly nine sets here, possibly.
0: Yeah, possibly more. And then, I'm glad you mentioned your pyramid set. If if my last set is rubbish, like the technique isn't right, didn't feel good, but I still technically did it, I'll drop the weight and I'll always finish on a good set at a lower weight.
1: I do that a lot with squats because you, right. if I'm pushing up to a, a, like a weight that I'm not that capable of mm-hmm. and i'm doing I, i'm like oh you know i only got five out that one i need to go all right i'm just gonna do some low 60 kilo as my final set Smart. just to make me feel a bit better i do actually have good form guys this is <laughs>
0: <laughs> that wasn't great but let's i get real low I, I i love that idea in fact a coach told me ages ago that he always finishes his clients on a good set I think it does something neurologically, you know, it's a re- reaffirming a good movement pattern. What I've been seeing in the gyms lately is people doing the opposite of what we're doing. Not that we're necessarily doing it right, I just think it's a more efficient way. Is that they, they, They've got four sets, they do a set at 20 kilos, they do a set at 30 kilos, they do a set at 40 kilos, and they do another set at 40 kilos, and that's, that's them done. So if you're, if, you're, if you're out there and you sort of play around with building up weight every set, try this technique try building up to your weight, finding your set of five or ten or whatever it is, and then holding that weight across across the ten. In terms of tracking your fitness, it's a lot easier to do that than always having to undulate reps and, and all that sort of stuff. So maybe, in fact, this is a rule of thumb for any program that I write. If you're doing any program that I write, if it says three sets of whatever or four sets of ten or whatever, it means four working sets. So it means you've warmed up to that point and then you hold that weight across your set. I think that's a... a a better way to ensure you're locking in the gains, you know what I mean?
1: If you get comfortable at it though, I'm just think, thinking about say it's like you're working up to like an 80kg, I don't know, bench press or something, and then you feel like you don't need to then you've gotten good at that and mm. then sustaining it and you don't need to work your way up to it. Do you can do you just start it whatever, do you start at eight? Like you can you don't have to work up and you feel more confident and they just Bench press is probably not a good one because mm. you do want to work up. You to definitely a, do, but just always doing those
0: four sets. I'll always do a warm up set. Yeah, uh, that's part part and parcel. Not 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 because partially because I want to avoid injury, but partially yep. because you got to turn your nerves on. Think but if you're
1: it. not doing, say you're doing a chest day, yeah. And you've already done like a bench press per se, I see. and then you go to like yeah. a decline press or something. You're not really having to warm up that much. No. You just jump straight into it. I'll do an empty bar just yep. to,
0: just to just to reaffirm the movement pattern. But if yep. it's sim- a simple muscle it's already been worked, the, the need for a, an extensive warm up, I don't think, is, is necessary. You're probably just building more fatigue at that point. So yeah, I do I do one or two warm up sets still. Yep, just to, to touch base with the weight and then, and then work into it. Um, yeah, I've been seeing it a lot in the gym lately. I've been, I've been putting the hammer down on my training and putting the hammer down on my nutrition as well. In fact, I've started tracking calories. Yep. And so I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because I know I say a lot, you know, we need to track where we're at to make change. If we just make changes, we don't know which changes are working and we don't know wh- what we're changing. We don't know where we're at. And so I want to go through step by step what I've done here and so i'm not um I'm not a huge fan of tracking every single day. I know there's some bodybuilders and, and physique competitors out there that need to do that for their for their cuts and whatever but just for the um for the general person, I think it's good to track every now and then to understand where you're at and then work with that knowing that that nutrition isn't going to change too much from there on out. So the first thing I do is I download an app and in the past I've used MyFitnessPal, uh, my Pal, which is a pretty popular tracking app at the moment, but I've switched this time around
1: yeah have they are they st- how did they go? I know we talked about ages mm. ago. They used to be a free tracker. Yeah. And everyone used to use them for like scanning barcodes and then they mm. made a charge. So has someone swooped in is now the so there, the go to?
0: There was another app still, but I think it's more popular in the States than it is here. Yep. But I think so I, th- I still think that MyFitnessPal Pal is free to a point. It's like a freemium model. so certain parts of it are free, but to unlock the, the pro to unlock the really cool features you need to pay money or whatever, like the scanning. But the app I'm using at the moment is called Fat Secret not not the best name right but it does the same thing <clears throat> and it's got a lot of australian food in there if you're aussie so i, da- I download the app you make an account or whatever Um I, do, I haven't paid money for it you can pay money to get a pro account to get more features but i don't need that at this point and then what i simply do is i everything that i eat that day i put it into my app before i eat it so if i have my smoothie i, I construct my smoothie 75 grams of oats a banana or whatever yep. i can save that as a meal i do that for breakfast I have a meal for lunch, which at the moment is pretty plain, so it's easy to track that. You know, two hundred grams of of beef, some potato, some broccoli, or what have you. Uh, my snack, I put that in. My dinner, I put that in, and I do that for three days, three yeah. three typical days. One day on the weekend, and then two two work days. And then the idea is to get an average of how many calories I'm I'm thereabouts eating. And the app's cool because it gives you a target. So if you're new to nutrition and you're like, I don't know how much I should be eating, Mm. the app says, all right, judging by your goal and your body metrics, here's what you should be eating. Here's your proteins, your carbs and your fats. And you put in what you're doing and then you can understand, all right, to get to this point that the app says, I need to make these changes. I need to eat a bit more carbohydrate. And what I've found is I've actually been in a surplus for a while, which is surprising because I thought that I was under eating or at least eating at maintenance and I found that my carbohydrates were too low and my fats and proteins were too high. Yep. So, what I've made, so to make the switch, I want to move back down to maintenance into a little bit of a deficit um, and knowing that my volume of training is about to increase. And so, what I've done, I've taken out my eggs. So, my eggs were.
1: No, you're not doing, you're not doing the eggs anymore. I
0: know, I'm, for now. They'll, they'll come back, don't worry. So, in the afternoon, I used to eat five eggs as a snack. I know, crazy. Bombshell. So, so what I've done is I've taken them out, which means I'm lowering my protein and my fat. I was over my protein, and over on my fat. I'm just putting some rice cakes. Okay. 40, 40 grams of carbohydrates in there to bump up those carbs. So I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Or I'll, I'll I'll stick with this nutrition schedule for a couple of weeks. I'll report back in in a couple of weeks to see how my body changes, um, if it does or not. But I'm hoping just to lean out a little yep. bit.
1: I like the whole averaging it out over a week. So if you're someone that wants to get into it and you just track a basic week Mm. that, and you go, all right, this is what I'm kind of at. This is my standard week. And then that's kind of like easing you into tracking calories because the thought of every day, just every little monotonous, Oh, I've got an almond croissant here. I -hmm. got 300 grams of chicken. That's That seems like a lot for people. Yeah. But I feel like if you just do it for a week and you go, all right, here's kind of my baseline Uh and you can go from there and then you can get more into it if you want to. But at least you have like it because I, mm. I haven't really ever done it, but mm. that much. But I, that is a good stepping stone into it. I think.
0: I think that's cool. And like, I, it's something I don't. I don't. I don't. There's a psychology around it too. Like, if you're carrying tupperware everywhere, that's perfectly weighed. You've got your scales at home, and like, there's something I don't know. There's something. I, again, some people get off on this, and, it, and it's great that they do, and they found a system that works for them. Yep. But for the general person, myself included, there's just something too clinical about that, and I'm not enjoying the food that uh, that I'm eating. Yeah. And then there's a psychology as well. If you do do that, you're weighing out perfectly, and you do have something bad. Yeah. You go, holy crap! I'm, I'm off! I'm, I'm off! Like what? What do I do? How do I compensate? And then yeah. there's this whole neural, yeah, uh, you know, this, this, this whole thing happened. I was
1: there. watching a, a podcast of a. Uh, UK bodybuilder mm. who's who was the same he kind of has always he's very on track of keeping his meals he always cooks them for himself so he does all that but he's not one of those people that um has to talk about it all the time like mm. oh no I have to eat this and he was like I kind of he was like it was like my little secret that I would like sneak off he's like I still would do all the social s- stuff I would still go to uh-huh. dinners I'd still do all this stuff but then like I'd quickly go to. Th- <laughs> he was like oh, I was at the I had to go to the movies with my brother and we were just at the movies and it was like, oh, it's going a bit over, like, over time. I need to get a meal. And he's like, oh, sweet. I just got to go to the toilet quickly. Goes to the toilet, leaves the movie theatre, goes into his car, eats his meal, Damn. a chicken and rice meal, has it, and then jumps back in. He's like, I do all that, but I don't like talk about it or it just doesn't take me away from social environments. So I thought that was pretty funny. That
0: That is pretty cool and very and funny. That's really interesting. Yeah, it? But, yeah, I know, I know there's a lot of people out there that sort of – um. I I'm, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I encourage you to, to do this, right? Because I never would have known that I've been eating in a surplus the last little while, unbeknownst to me. I didn't I didn't know I was under eating carbohydrates. I didn't know that I was actually overeating protein. I didn't need, need to eat that much. And so now I can make some changes and I'm probably going to see some pretty good advancements um, in my fitness in the next few weeks.
1: Keen. All right, should we get into some questions? Drop it, boy. All right, question time. All right. Question one, every time I go heavy, my shoulder and lower back hurt. So instead of lifting heavy, I drop the weight and increase my reps. Is this okay? Shoulder – go heavy at what?
0: Yeah, go – Shoulder
1: and back, <laughs> lower
0: back, a combination. I've never heard of that. What's what's going on here, Bart? Yeah, there's a bit. And again, I don't have full details. This would also be a general answer. But it's something I see a lot in uh, older blokes, funn- funnily enough. And yep. often they were – um
1: Every go- – th- Every friend group has about thirty percent of them. You ask, "Well, we'll have a bad shoulder for sure, hundred percent." If it's not a bad shoulder, it's a bad back, yep. and it's usually the inverse. If the person doesn't have a bad back, they have a bad <laughs> shoulder, and if they don't have a bad back, they have a bad shoulder. Or rarely will you meet someone that doesn't that has both, which this person does, or rarely they would have neither.
0: And Jacob knows this
1: stuff. I'm the shoulder guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Are you? A I'm the lower back oh, guy. <laughs> see, where there's always one. <laughs> oh gosh. So I'm going to make some generalisations here, okay. just because I've trained a few a few of these guys before, and not that it doesn't just happen to guys either, but it happens with blokes because we're really stubborn and we don't think things through a lot. And it happens when, um, particularly if they were an athlete, right? And so here's the story, and I can guarantee you at least. Whatever it is, thirty percent of the <laughs> of the people can relate here. You're an athlete when you were young, you tackled someone wrong, you hurt your shoulder, you didn't really do anything about it, you waited until it got a bit better, you kept playing footy, you hurt your shoulder more, you haven't done much about it. Now every time you go over sixty kilos on a on an overhead or what have you, it starts to hurt again. And so what we've got to understand is that the heavier we heavier we go, the the risk to reward ratio increases. Um, but also, the heavier we go, the more our imbalances are going to surface. right? Yep. So if you have a niggly shoulder, you're pretty good at compensating for that niggly shoulder up until whatever weight. And then as soon as you're over over that weight, you don't have the prerequisite strength because you've injured it years ago mm. to hold that position. And so this can happen with your lower back as well. It can happen with just about any any joint here. And so what I don't want for these people... Uh, is for them to go, all right, I'm never going to go below six reps. I'm going to totally miss that phase because whenever I lift heavy, quote-unquote, I hurt. And so you avoid it, you take weight off, and you do more volume. You're missing out on this whole aspect of adaptation, this whole corner of fitness if you avoid that heavy stuff. So the, the answer here is to correct your technique, funnily enough. And to do the prerequisite work to fix that shoulder. And it's not a thing that most people, myself included, can do by yourself. You need someone to have a look at your technique, see how you see what's going on with your shoulder, you know, get in front of an EP, see, tell them what's happening, and then they can give you some exercises to start working on fixing that problem. So that then you can get to a point where you can start to lift heavy, pain free. And what this rehab, or prehab, whatever you want to call it, would look like is some mobilisation work of the shoulder, the, the lower hips, particularly with internal, external rotation of the hips, which a lot of people really struggle with, to free up that joint and then building stability in that joint through lighter loads. And then, you know, if in some instances, it, it changes the entire way you do overhead work, particularly for you tr- your shoulders, or it changes your entire technique of your, um, uh, of, your of your lower body work. If you're, if you're doing deadlifts or what have you. And so I suppose, is this okay? It is okay to a point, but don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for not going heavy because it hurts. Find a reason why it hurts and then start start working on that. Um, it makes me think of a really interesting conversation, right? And it's, it's a little bit of a tangent, but stay with me. How? Here's a question for you. How close is your 10 rep max to your one rep max?
1: Like oh, like the varied...
0: Yeah, correct.
1: It depends. Uh,
0: hard to tell.
1: It's hard to tell. Probably like, let's give me a base. Give yeah. me a base exercise.
0: So let's just say um, a oh, chest press, dumbbell chest press, ten reps. Oh, let's say a bench press, barbell bench press. So let's if, think think of your um, your peak bench press at the moment, and it might not be your overall one RM. Mm. And then think about what weight you would choose to do ten reps. What's the variance between the two?
1: Probably like maybe like twenty
0: five percent, thirty percent. Do you think that you're more do you think that you can hold on to a heavy weight and grind through a set better than doing just one big bang power movement?
1: Um yes, probably.
0: Yeah. And so you're probably gonna be more inclined to do the more voluminous stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm not one to really test my three RMs, one yeah. RMs. I'm more of a, if I can't do eight, yeah. I'm not changing it kind of thing.
0: Yep, I'm, I'm a little bit the same. Yep. And it's the way that our bodies are built. This this conversation sort of started when I got my DNA test, gifted anaerobic threshold, high muscular endurance. And so my, because I'm good at that. Toot, toot.
1: <laughs> I kind of want to be like, if I got this DNA <laughs> test, I want to be like not gifted at anaerobic and aerobic. Because then it's like, jeez, I'm just working so much goddamn harder. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gifted, it's like, yeah, you got it easy, bro. I'm not. I, 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 I'm, work I, for I have to work for this anaerobic <laughs> threshold and aerobic threshold. I but hope it's like horrible,
0: <laughs> and I'm just grinding. Oh, that's great. So, but like, so for oh, so derail. You, you're great. <laughs> um, so for, for for us, right, we're gonna be more inclined to go for higher reps and all yep. because we're good at it, right? Yep. And so that's another sort of self confirming bias um, that we need to be aware of. And there's some people out there that are the opposite, that they're so strong in their one to three reps. That they don't even want to venture out beyond six reps because yeah, okay. who, who knows what's out there. And so, you know, this member might be the same. You know, yes, their shoulder might hurt when they go heavy, but they also might have a genetic predisposition to be better at grinding heavier weights for, for longer reps. And have, if, you're, if you're watching or listening to this, have a think about where you sit on this continuum. Are you good and do you prefer the the eight-plus repetitions or <clears throat> do you prefer the really heavy get-it-done-and-rest-long and then have a think about what you've done in the last few months and try and flip it. Try and do something that you're not as gifted at perhaps and you might see some pretty um, pretty big changes. Cool.
1: Question two. Do you have any tips on falling asleep faster? I have a number of... Have you Are you an easy sleeper?
0: I, so I have, I have a number of superpowers. Yep. One's my anaerobic threshold. <clears throat> and the other is being able to fall asleep really fast. And I think it's because of the the nighttime routine we've made. So to answer this question, I'm going to give some some pretty intricate tips. Right, okay. I've got seven of them. But first, I want to enlighten you to the beautiful relationship between cortisol and melatonin. Cortisol being our stress hormone, melatonin being our sleep hormone. And here's the journey of the two hormones throughout the day. And, Jacob, if you get some spare time, feel free to draw a few graphs over my okay. face here. Yeah. <clears throat> In the morning, your cortisol is the highest. Cortisol wakes you up and then throughout the day that cortisol should slowly drift off down to to zero ish. Waiting again for that time of night when you need to wake up where it will spike. Melatonin is the inverse. So in the morning it starts very low. And then it should slowly increase to a point where you get to get the bedtime and it'll help you fall asleep. What people are missing is the is the ease and fall of these two hormones. And it's because of lifestyle factors and poor sleep routines and a whole host of other things. So what we want to do is to limit cortisol throughout the day, so that it makes it easier for us to increase melatonin and then easier for us to fall asleep. Because melatonin, right, isn't it doesn't necessarily give you higher quality sleep. Mm-hmm. It just gets you to sleep. Yep. Someone explained, to, explained it to me as it's like the starting gun of the race. Bang. Yep. And then your body takes away the rest. And so, what we're trying to do with this member in terms of any tips to to increase sleep is we want to make sure that that melatonin is peaking at the right point. And there are a number of things that we can do um, to ensure that. And I suppose the first thing that I do is that when the sun goes down at night, I dim the lights. So, what that means for us is we have dimmers in our main bed, in our main (coughs) uh, living room. We put them in for this sole reason, funnily enough. And we dim the lights down so it's a pretty dark house. We turn on the pink Himalayan rock salts. And so we're trying to eliminate any blue light within the environment. Simply doing this, for some people, has a huge benefit, even even if they're watching their phone or, or watching their television or, or whatever. And so this is just syncing our body up to the, day, to, the, to the day and night cycle, the light and dark cycle. Because yep. as soon as those lights are on, particularly if they're really, really harsh white light lights, they'll keep you up. Mm. that's 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 what that light spectrum does and so your body doesn't know whether it's trying to go to sleep or trying to stay up because there's so many lights beaming at it because our body's receptive we have photoreceptors all over our body second thing i do is i finish dinner two hours before bed yep so this is just to make sure that it's fully digested and if there's any any foods i ate that my body didn't quite like my body has time to work through that Mm-hmm. and then can ease into a nice um, a nice easy sleep because I don't want to be digesting my food while I'm asleep. I want my body to be focusing on recovery and okay. rejuvenation. Um, number three is I then turn the television, the phone, the tablet, whatever technology you want, off a minimum of 30 minutes before bed. Okay. So sometimes we're, we're really good and we don't turn the television on at all when I get home from work. It doesn't happen that's always. It's pretty good. It's, yeah, it doesn't happen often. Um, but as Lysander gets older, I think television will become more a part of our life. But, um, so 30 minutes is our cover. So we turn the phones off or what have you, we brush our teeth, we read a book, it's bedtime. That's it. So you're easing your way down. What we are going to understand is that our brain can't just go from stimulus, Instagram, stimulus, food, stimulus, conversation to asleep. sleep. Our brain doesn't work like that. No. We need to ease it into that. And so all these things are sort of working towards that point. Um, number four, dark room. You okay? No, what, what yeah, no, no I'm just it? saying
1: my my body's getting pretty used to that. <laughs> <laughs> stimulus, stimulus, all right, Bro, no, we, nothing.
0: We, we've talked about your caffeine intake. We know yeah. that caffeine does the opposite to you. <laughs> I'm making feel bad. Dark room, number four. So I make sure that most of the lights uh, are, um, are eliminated. So if you've got an alarm clock or a phone or whatever, I take them out of the room. Keep the room as dark as possible and keep it cool, which is easy this time of year because it's winter. Whatever. But in summer, it's a bit different. Air conditioning is often on in my house. Number five, I read a book, even if it's just one page. Just a page. Just to ease that mind Even down. Even just a paragraph, you know. You know Just what? a few words. He's right. Just to do something to ease that mind down a bit. And I'm Harry b-
1: struck down Voldemort. <laughs> dot. <sighs> Good bed.
0: He's done. Every night. <laughs> Jacob just reads Harry, only Harry, read Harry Potter. I read Harry Potter. And then number six, uh, I sleep like a boss because all that stuff works. But number seven happens the next day. Number seven You is wake s- up. I wake up at a similar time every day. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. So I don't I normally wake up anywhere between sort of four thirty and six. I try and keep that window as much as possible. Around about five, five thirty is preferred. Doesn't always happen. Are no. you
1: an alarm person or are you are letting your body tell you to get up?
0: Here's a hack. Wrist watch alarm. Okay. You can set this sucker to vibrate. It's so much better than having some sort of sound blaring in your ear when you wake up.
1: I I have a I get my Google home to wake me up and I can it's only voice activated, so I have to tell it to stop, which I feel like helps me slightly.
0: That's the best. Some mornings are you just like, well, I usually <laughs>
1: sometimes set another alarm. It's funny because actually this week I had to reset the internet, <laughs> and usually it's a woman. Google Google's like a woman telling me like, "Alright, Google, wake me up," and and it's like, "Oh, alarm set for six a.m. or whatever." Right, and then it just reset, and then the voice changed to a man now. <laughs> And it's put me off. And <laughs> Google, <like laughs> what's happened to you? You, you? Your voice has gotten so much lower, that's and so now funny. I'm now I'm telling the Google man to to, to stop the alarm. Get out.
0: <laughs> Do you rebel?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be like, st- st-
0: stop alarm, start another alarm. I want to hear that. I want record so that recorded. So those are my <laughs> those are my seven steps to better sleep. Um, and that's what helps me a lot. But ba- but the whole the whole intention here is limit your stress throughout the day, um, and lull yourself into sleep. Don't expect your brain just to turn off. Do something to to wind down.
1: Okay, I, I've, those were great steps. But yeah. but if I saw this question and I thought there's one man that I trust more than Bart, it's a man by the name of Andrew Huberman. Do you know ah, who Andrew Huberman?
0: Of course, I know Andrew. Uh, Huberman. He's a
1: neuroscientist. Um, and he always talks about sleep and how important sleep is. And he has a sleep cocktail that he likes to have oh, together. Oh, excellent! And he has. He, if you want to look this up, it's just I'm just going to be regurgitating some of what he says. But um, if you look up Andrew Huberman's sleep, or Hugh, Andrew Huberman sleep cocktail, he'll tell you what he takes or what he recommends for some people, and just a general um, keys for sleep. So similar to you, he said, um, this is just some of the steps no caffeine after 2 p.m. this is what he does mm-hmm. sleep in a cold room mm-hmm. which one step here um he doesn't like melatonin he doesn't like melatonin
0: the, the supplement
1: yep the supplement uh within 30 minutes of waking up go outside for te- 2 to 10 minutes my boy um, and as sun is setting view the sun to send a signal to your brain mm. that it's evening but one thing he says dinner is his he goes heavy on carbs mm. for dinner and light at lunch and breakfast.
0: Is it because so they there's a relationship between serotonin and melatonin. Yeah, and so it releases intake. serotonin. Mm. But
1: his 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 cocktail mm. uh, that he does. So magnesium three and eight. Yeah. He has two to three hours before sleep. Mm. Um, it's basically to help absorption. Yada yada. He'll tell 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 you all about it. Um, f- so some people, he ha- has a few different things, but he mm. says like. Apigenine is like a derivative of chamomile. Hey, apigenin. Apigenin, sorry. Yeah. I don't know the science terms hey, as well. Okay. Um, and then theat- theanine, theanine he has as yeah. well. Um, but he said, which I found funny, he's like, this is great. It can take the edge off, um, you know, caffeine intake. But he's like, don't take theanine if you have night terrors or sleepwalk. Wow. Sometimes it can have the opposite effect. So I think theanine is f- to helping you... Get to, he had also some ones of people that wake up during the night, mm. some suggestions that are different for you to getting, mm-hmm. getting to sleep. But then I just found it funny. It was like, Theanine's good. He's like, everyone's kind of different, so yeah. you have to figure out what's good for you. But he was like, Theanine messes with people that have, good, that have vivid dreams wow. and sometimes can make stuff worse. So yeah, that's really interesting. I found man. that quite interesting. But give him a listen as well about sleep for if sure. you get a chance. 100%. Um, question three. All right, let's go. Will eating my carbs after I work out make it less likely that I'll, it will be stored as fat? This is a... It's a bit... Con- what
0: the word? Con... come. Con- con- I, con- I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> you work on that. I'll work on this. So the, so this is a psychological hack I've used for a lot of people who are, with for lack of a better term, scared of carbs. So they've bought into this idea that if I eat carbohydrates, they're gonna be stored as fat no matter what. Carbs are bad, avoid, avoid, avoid. And we know that's not the case, right? <clears throat> if you've been listening to Personal Best Podcast powered by Just Australia, you know that calorie surplus, excess calories, is what causes fat gain, not necessarily the consumption of a certain macronutrient. Okay? And so for those people who have that fear of carbohydrates, this is a really great psychological hack because the, the, the rationale is if you eat carbohydrates before you work out, you're going to be using those carbohydrates within your workout. And then if you consume carbohydrates after your workout, you're going to be using that for recovery. And so what happens, depend, it depends on the workout too, and it depends on the person as well. This is highly individual. Most of our, most of our advice has this cloak of individuality on it so try s- try things and make sure that they're right for you that sort of stuff um um and so carbo- so consuming carbohydrates after your work so when you work out yeah, there's certain receptors on your cells i've got back to where i was um there's certain receptors on your cells called GLUT four GLUT three GLUT three transporters right and what they do is that they suck glucose from the bloodstream into the cell to be used or stored as glycogen in the body so we know these receptors are upregulated after we work out. Um, but from what we know, like consuming carbohydrates after your workout can be good, can help with recovery, but also not consuming carbohydrates after your workout is fine as well as long as you eat well throughout the day unless you have another training session that day. So if, you have, if you're doing two days, carbohydrates after that first workout will help you for that next workout later in the day, but if you're not training until the next day or even the day after, <coughs> just consume your your food as you would normally and your glycogen stores will be, um, will be replenished. And so what we do have to understand as well is that carbohydrates are stored in the body as a, what's called glycogen. And so we store this as fuel ready to go so if we do need to go for a mile run running from a cheetah or what have you we have the energy stores to do that high octane energy stores and so our liver holds about 100 grams of carbohydrates or, um, um, or glycogen and our muscles about 350 grams so it's quite a bit and if you obviously if you have more muscle the more glycogen you can store and so what happens in a workout if it's a glyco- glyco- glycogenic workout? Is that these stores are depleted, and then we replenish those stores ready for the next workout. Hard to do if you're doing low carb, which is why we don't often recommend low carb. <clears throat> and so, will consuming carbohydrates after your workouts stop you from a- adding it as fat potentially? But it's all got to do with your overall calorie intake um, throughout the day. And so, my my recommendation is to track. Hey, okay? if you're if you're listening to this and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but this is ridiculous download fat secret or my fitness Pal or what have you we have no affiliation set up an account track your food see where you're at see what what's recommended for you to fill those gaps you simply doing that is going to take you further than diving into the minutia of if i consume this much carbohydrates at this time i'm not going to store it yeah so do the prerequisite work by understanding where your total calories and macros are at and then worry about that minutia down the track awesome thanks mate That's us, I think. Hey, thank you guys for listening to the Personal Best Podcast. Uh, If you like what we're doing and want more of Jacob's sultry voice, click the follow button on the podcast platform that you're listening to this on. And if you're already following us, leave us a five-star review. Uh, We've also got some cool stuff on TikTok and Instagram. TikTok,
1: such, such cool stuff! Such cool stuff. Check
0: it out. Uh, we, we sound facetious, but there's actually some there's some really good stuff on there. So follow us on those things. Jets Australia—that's Jets with a double T. All
1: right, and make sure you're being your personal best. Peace out.